0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, January 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the prison crisis attracts national attention. And the city of Hattiesburg introduces a new street monitoring system. Then, after bite-sized tech, new lottery games hit Mississippi. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Nationally renowned artists and athletes descended on Jackson last week as part of a rally demanding that Governor Tate Reeves shut down Parchment State Penitentiary. The troubled facility lacks running water, plumbing, and electricity in some of its units, conditions many protesters declare as inhumane. Demario Davis is a linebacker for the New Orleans Saints and alumnus of Brandon High School. He tells our Desiree Frazier it's important to use his platform to shine light on what's happening in Mississippi prisons.
1: Our prisons are under-resourced, department prisons, people are underfed, they lack health care, and they're not uh, getting the rehabilitation the rehabilitation needs met. And so uh, if we're sending people into prison and treating them like animals, how are we expecting them to return to society and be productive? Uh, we have people far too long in our society. We have um, too long prison sentences being given out. We have people who get 60, to 70 years. We have people in jail who are 80, 90 years old, no longer a threat to society. Like why are they still there when we have too many people and not enough beds? We also have people who are getting repeat offenders. Spending 50, 60 years for multiple drug offenses. They have a drug addiction. They need psychological, mental help. You know, And so, and then there's no type of rehabilitation services going on that's helping them from a psychological standpoint to be able to be better off than when they went in. And then there are not enough reentry programs. So on the front end, we have too many people going in. While they're there, uh, people are being treated like animals. And then there's no type of um, resources around to help people uh, reintegrate into society. So we're missing the ball from uh, a prison standpoint. So we need prison reform. And I think what's happening here at the Parchment Prison is a reflection of what's going on in the rest of our country. And so the people who are here speaking out today, they're speaking from a place of pain. And all I want to do is use my platform to help elevate those voices.
2: If you could talk to the governor, what would you say to him about this?
1: Uh, Number one, um, the Parchment Prison, we can't deny uh, its foundation. You know, this foundation was set... with uh, a slavery mentality. It was post-slavery and it was built on plantation and it was designed in a way for blacks to submit to white authority. We are so far past that in in, in 2019, 2020. Uh, So when you have a bad foundation, it doesn't matter how much change that you want to create. That foundation is always going to be what you fall back on. And so uh, with that being said, we need to look at how do we uh, do better. You know, now it's a warehouse it's pretty much treating back? human beings like animals. You listen, to, you listen to the voices of the people who are inside. Uh, we need more empathy in our society. Listen to those people. Listen to what they're saying is going on, on the inside and how they're being treated. They're saying they're being treated worse than dogs. When human beings make that type of statement that we're being treated worse than dogs, that's a problem in any part of our society. Um, but I would encourage the governor and say this. If you can get reform right here in Mississippi, you have a chance to set an example and a precedence for the rest of the country. The problems that exist here in Mississippi are not just in Mississippi. Uh, they, they exist all throughout the country. As a person that goes and speaks on ju- criminal justice reform in Philadelphia and New York and Baltimore and Florida and New Orleans, I see it everywhere. Um, so Mississippi is not alone. But uh, it would make me proud to see Mississippi be an example to the rest of the country of what reform looks like. You know, and let's, let's, treat, let's treat human beings like human beings. Um, let's admit our wrongs and let's do better.
0: Demario Davis is a member of the New Orleans Saints and graduate of Brandon High School. The rally was organized by Jay-Z's Rock Nation and advocacy group Mississippi Prison Reform Coalition. Meridian native and rap artist Big Crit tells MPB's Desiree Frazier action requires more than just writing songs.
3: I also saw the footage um, that was on the social media. I felt like it was very important that I actually be here on the ground and communicate with the people that actually have true information on what's going on. Um... The inhumane condition that people are being treated, nobody should be treated that way. I didn't feel like a song that I could put out would change anything, that I actually had to learn, actually be here, and actually use my brand to bring awareness because we are in Mississippi. And sometimes things like this happen, and it's not on mass media. People don't know about it. And so this is the first time, especially for me, where I like it's very important. I'm here, and all of my uh, peers and people that do music with me, hopefully they see this, and they'll also become a part of fighting this and closing and parchment and other places like this and trying to really bring some kind of prison reform situation where people are actually rehabilitated and they don't complete the cycle, and they will not end back up in the same place they were
2: in. Why get involved? Why not just sit back and do what you do?
3: That's not how I work, I'm human. I see something, it, it rattles me, it, 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 it keeps me from sleeping at night, it it weighs on my heart, then I have to speak up, I have to speak out. And if I didn't do music, I would still be here. I'm from Mississippi, I know what it's like when people ignore the situation. And I think about, if I was in that particular situation, what would I want people to do? What would I want them to say? How would I want them to change my situation? And I think this is the start, and we have to keep moving and keep pushing because this shouldn't happen.
0: Big Crit is a Meridian native. On Sunday, 26-year-old Joshua Norman was found hanging in his cell at Parchman. His death marks the ninth at the facility and 11th throughout Mississippi since December. Coming up, the city of Hattiesburg introduces a new street monitoring system. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me on the show each week are healthcare professionals who add their expertise to the discussion. Listen to the show every Monday at 11, or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The city of Hattiesburg is installing high-tech security cameras to help track and deter crime. The action is part of a community-based crime camera initiative called Project NOLA. Toby Barker is the mayor of Hattiesburg. He tells MPB's Kobe Vance the joint effort of the police department and city council will make the city safer.
5: This is not just uh, one strategy for how we're going to make the city a safer place. We we're, have lots of strategies. This is just one of those. Uh, this is an idea that came to us from our police chief, uh, Stoney Parker, uh, last fall. We presented to the city council in November this concept. Uh, we did have uh, a spike in crime in the first seven to ten days of 2020, and which necessitated us moving a little bit faster on, on moving on this. And so uh, you know, to have a real-time camera program, that not only has city cameras, and we're going to lead from the front here, but also incorporates you know, businesses, churches, neighborhood associations, residents who also either purchase these cameras or you know, send their data to Project NOAA so it's all in one place, um, is going to help us in terms of trying to catch criminals before they commit more crime, uh, but also just you know, people knowing that um, if, if they, if they can choose to commit a crime in the city of Hattiesburg, they're probably going to be caught.
4: Uh, you, you said purchasing cameras. Could you explain a little bit about that and Project NOLA as a whole?
5: So the the different thing about Project NOLA is this is not a you know, the city doesn't buy these and you know, own the data and run the thing in house. I mean Project NOLA is a, is a crime center that is a five hundred one c three that does this for several cities. Uh, Natchez, Biloxi, New Orleans all use Project NOLA, and and so it, it does allow the city to go and, and and purchase cameras itself, but it also empowers the private sector, the faith-based community, to buy cameras for their facilities and host a camera pointed toward the street um, you know, at their home or their business. And you know, the storage costs of that are actually tax-deductible. And so it really is a community-based approach because it's not just government leading the way. Uh, it really enables the, the private sector to get involved too. The other thing is Project NOAA is not a, a surveillance on people's houses. It is something that's pointed toward the street. And so – Uh, It it strikes a good balance between uh, being proactive, watching what's going on, trying to keep the citizens safe, but also protecting privacy.
4: What kind of crimes are you all looking to try to negate with this uh, tactic of bringing in CCTVs?
5: Well, I think we're looking at part one crimes, and so uh, what what you'll probably see is as we're deciding – where to put cameras, it was important for our council to make sure that these weren't isolated to one neighborhood or one ward. And so you'll probably see them spread out across the city. We'll probably look at, you know, public facilities that we have, a camper park, our longleaf trace, but we'll also look at areas where, you know, we see uh, uh, maybe a cluster of whether it's aggravated assaults, shootings, um, the occasional homicide, uh, a rash of auto burglaries, you know, we can sort of pinpoint kind of where they would be best deployed uh, at the start.
0: Toby Barker is the mayor of Hattiesburg. Jeremy Thompson owns Computer Doctor and Phone Surgeons in Hattiesburg. He tells our Kobe Vance, while the program is well-received in the community, there are privacy concerns when dealing with this type of technology.
6: Uh, Well, as far as I can tell, uh, when the the mayor made the announcement on Facebook, um, it was pretty well-received by most people. Um, There were a few people in the thread that were concerned with privacy that was just a couple of people but typically when it comes to privacy most people were sort of head in the clouds and there's you know people that actually know the ramifications of technology like that and how invasive it can be
4: and for anybody who might not know could you explain a little bit of why people might have be concerned about privacy
6: well uh the way that these cameras work is um they operate on um recognizing certain activity, taking place in neighborhoods. Um, I, I believe they use facial recognition as well. Um, so when it comes to uh, storing people's information, biometric data, um, there's there's a lot of red tape for people. Because privacy is such a, a, a buzzword these days, it's difficult to... Uh, for some people to understand just exactly what that means. So biometric data like your face being stored in a server uh, with law enforcement, you know, that it sounds safe, but, you know, things get hacked all the time. And if that information is compromised, then you're talking about some highly, highly sensitive data that no one needs to have their hands on except for the proper authorities.
4: Um, could you give an example of why that data would be important to keep under lock and key?
6: So, you know, it doesn't necessarily store pictures of a face. It stores more like patterns of what a face looks like. You know, it traces certain features of a person's face. Um, if someone has that information, they could use it to compromise your identity. So, you know, it's supposed to be foolproof. Oh, well, nobody can take my face except for the fact that there are people that are capable of designing masks that can uh, trick facial recognition it's been done on the iPhone 10 which is supposed to have a foolproof method of facial recognition but it is obviously not
4: I was talking to the mayor and he says that you know the cameras are just pointed at the streets they shouldn't be an issue mm-hmm. to privacy is is that always true
6: no. Um, and the reason is because these cameras are very, very sophisticated. Um, they can see very long distances. They have great night vision, and uh, it it makes it possible to track an individual's activity, an innocent individual, uh, from one place another, from one place in town to another. So, you know, I've been thinking about this since I read about it, and it, it, it recently, uh, at beginning of this year, I had my own car stolen. And so, you know, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is great because, you know, now it will be able to track license plate numbers. Well, that's great for somebody who's under suspicion of a crime. But then there's also the, the ability to track someone who hasn't been just based on looking up uh, a few numbers in a system like, hey, this is their license plate number. Where has this vehicle been? Well, if that person hasn't been accused of any crime, uh, then they should not have access to that information. But that system is definitely capable of doing that.
0: Jeremy Thompson is part of the Everyday Tech team here on MPB Think Radio. Coming up, after bite-sized tech, new lottery games hit Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.
6: to this week's Bite Size Tech. I'm Jay White. Recently, the topic of one of our everyday tech episodes was fear of technology. The topic was brought about in part because of the Trump administration's blacklisting of Chinese mobile giant Huawei. With speculation now that the U.S. and China may more and more often use technology as a political and negotiating tool, you may be wondering, how can this all affect you personally? Enter Henry, a business owner in northeast Mississippi, who's already met the intersection of tech and national safety face to
5: face.
7: Today's subject hit a note with me. We're a small civil engineering firm right on the Tennessee-Mississippi line, and we've been investigating the purchase of a small drone to do aerial photography, and it's in line with some of the engineering work we do. And in the research that we did, we stumbled across the fact that the United States military has been using, uh, I'm not going to name any manufacturers, but most of this stuff is manufactured in China. And they started restricting the use of the drones that the military had been using around the bases because they found out that some of the most recent drones, um, coupled with an Android phone, the Chinese could observe the RTK transmission Mm. and the photography that was being downloaded and they've restricted the, the drones from anywhere around military installations. So that sort of put the damper on us purchasing one of these units, although we really need it. Now, the question where I'm getting to with this discussion, where is this going? Because it's not only telephones, it's every device that uses these signals, and the 5G networking is going to be the platform of the future. What do you do if you're a business and you need to make a decision And now we've blacklisted some of these companies. You're always number one, but you can bet more is to follow. And all this outsourcing that's been done to the Chinese for the last 25 years is just unbelievable.
8: You, sir, Henry, are in between a rock and a hard place because find any piece of of plastic or anything with a circuit board on it that wasn't manufactured in China. Now you're looking at a challenge. This drone thing goes way deeper. Remember I was talking about the servers that had a little something planted on them? They had a little chip on them that was the size, like a grain of rice. That's how big it was. And uh, it allowed people to uh, snoop on what the servers were doing. And some of these servers were military. And guess what they controlled? Drone. Yeah. So as far as providing a solution to his problem, finding something domestic... I would say that the best solution I would have is custom building what you need if you've got so many restrictions on purchasing something that's already built. There are lots of drone hobbyists out there that love to build drones. I would recommend uh, seeking out some hobbyists perhaps and seeing if maybe uh, they might be able to throw something together for you based on what you need. Of course, it always depends from from the batteries that you put in it to the, uh, the motors that you use for the propellers, the controller board that you put on the drone itself, you you have full control over how it's made. It's a fun process. It's it's pretty complicated. But I know that there are some guys out there maybe listening to the show right now that are like, oh, I could build that guy's drone. So seek out some hobbyists because I bet there's somebody out there who would love to help you out.
6: For more conversation like this, Or to have your personal tech problems addressed, listen to MPB's Everyday Tech. The show is now on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and TuneIn. Visit the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash MPB Everyday Tech. And of course, listen weekdays at 10 a.m. right here on MPB Think Radio.
3: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Powerball and Mega Millions lottery games are coming to Mississippi. The ceremonial launch will take place later this week in Pass Christiane. Mississippi launched its lottery games in November and has since transferred over $7.5 million to the state treasury. Tom Shaheen, president of the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, tells R. Michael Guidry the early returns on the lottery are exceeding expectations.
2: We're feeling really good. Uh, it is uh, performing uh, higher than than we re- originally would have anticipated. Uh, players have been very receptive to the scratch off tickets. Uh, the retailers have been just superstars um, in representing representing the state in front of the players. I mean they came to training uh they uh they learned about all the games uh they're very very positive and it's just it's just been a pleasure and the sales the sales have been uh higher than we would have predicted
9: do you anticipate kind of keeping that momentum as we enter the spring and as more games are introduced
2: yes we do um the games will but as we introduce more games and different style games that the sales will spread a little bit so in other words we've been up until last Saturday night, we were, we've were we averaged $10 million a week in instant scratch-off tickets. But now, with the introduction of Powerball and Mega Millions next week, we anticipate some of that mo- money will move from scratch-off tickets to Mega Millions and, and to Powerball. And the goal is to collectively have more money altogether.
9: Mega Millions and, and Powerball are multi-state lotteries so how does that work uh, now that mississippi is introducing these bigger larger um more lucrative multi-state lotteries
2: well first of all it's one thing that i've heard about since june 1st when i got here that you know the bigger questions we always get is when's powerball coming when's mega millions coming and so it's very very popular here they are national games um so there are players in 48 jurisdictions I guess with us it'd be 49 now. 49 jurisdictions that are all playing the same game, playing for the same jackpot.
9: How did the proceeds, how did the funds from these these national games work? I mean, do we, if your tickets are bought from a Mississippi vendor, that money uh, clearly just stays there. Does any portion of it that goes to the national game? Kind of break down how that works. Yes.
2: Um, yeah, the game. You're exactly right. Uh, the tickets are sold here. They're only Mississippi tickets sold here, and every other state they can only sell Powerball tickets uh, related to their state. It's it's like an individual game of ours, but we're sharing in a big pool for for the jackpot. And basically, all the money uh, all the money from the proceeds of sales in Mississippi. Remain in Mississippi, except for our portion of the jackpot, and our portion of the jackpot is based on the percentage of our sales over the total sales of the game.
9: Between the the time you sold the first ticket and the next week with the introduction of the Mega Millions and the Powerball, have you seen a growth in providers?
2: Yes, we actually started on November 25th with around 1190 retailers. We now have um, 1500 in. Around 1,525 retailers that have terminals installed and been trained. Uh, So we anticipate having that many starting on Thursday when we start selling Powerball and Mega Millions. So a a growth of uh, 300 retailers since we started.
9: What do you project for this year as legislature finally begins to kind of consider what to do with money that the lottery brings in? What are your projections for 2020 now that you've kind of gotten a couple of months to see how the games are being received?
2: So there's seven months' worth of sales, and now it looks like we should probably, based on what we've done so far, we should probably be close to $200 million um, by June 30th, by the end of this fiscal year. I can't give you an exact figure on the returns at this point because uh, we still have uh, some major uh, expenses, startup expenses that we have to pay off. We do have the startup loan that needs to be paid off. But if I were guessing, um, we would probably, if we were able to do $200 million uh, by June 30th, which it clearly looks like we should be on pace to do, uh, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to $40 million for this seven-month period.
0: Tom Shaheen is president of the Mississippi Lottery Corporation. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning.